Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Peter said this, Lord, where will we go? It is you that have the very words to life. Peter knew this is the truth. And where are we going to go? Well, what are your options? You've got two. You either live for yourself and apart from Christ or you live for Christ. Hebrews was written to remind the earliest followers of Christ that Jesus was all they needed and was superior to any law or ritual they may have followed before they came to Christ. It's not a ritual or a specific religion or group that saves you. It is only by Jesus, by enduring and staying close to Him, that we are truly saved. With more out of Hebrews chapter 10 and our teaching titled, The Three R's of Endurance, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. There's a proverb that says, where there's an empty stall, the stall is clean. But much power comes from the strength of the ox. Now here's what the proverb is saying. Put yourself back in their day. You have an ox. You've got 40 acres of property. You can put a yoke on the ox and you can plow the property. It becomes much easier. If you don't have that ox, what do you got to do? You got to plow that property by hand. No fun, right? So you have an ox. Much power comes from the strength of the ox, but the stall is no longer clean. You might have an ox, but you also got to deal with the poo-poo. Right? And ox poo-poo, not something that's real easy to deal with. Now, here's what the proverb is saying when we apply it to the church. Hey, look, where you don't know anybody, the stall's clean. And when you get to know people, then the stall's no longer clean. People are going to hurt you. They're going to offend you. There's going to be things that are said, but much strength comes from the power of the ox. It's worth getting to know people. And even then, when people offend us and say things that they shouldn't say, and trust me, people say the stupidest things. People are hurtful. People in the name of of Christ are hurtful. I've heard them all over the years. And here recently, I've heard people say things that I'm like, wow, I can't believe that you really said that, that you really went there. But here's what it does. It gives us an opportunity to do what Ephesians 4 tells us, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. We're to extend forgiveness and love to one another. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. We've crammed as many chairs into this room as we can possibly get. We can't fit any more chairs. Literally, we could probably fit five or six more chairs in here. The aisles are so close, you guys have trouble getting in and out. And when when I'm watching during a worship service and somebody saves a seat in the middle and somebody gets in, you step on every person's foot as you go in. It's like you can see it. Ow, ooh, ah, ow, ooh, ah, as people go over it. Well, I'll tell you what, it's like that in the kingdom of God. We step on each other's toes. But it allows us, as the Bible says, love covers a multitude of sins. It allows us to cover those sins by love. And if we get to know people, if we have that accountability, then we're going to run that race with endurance. Without it, we're probably not going to make it. You might prove me wrong. There might be an exception. But I'm going to tell you, it's going to be much more difficult for you to be running your race swiftly for Jesus in 20 years if you don't get to know anyone, if you isolate yourself, if you push yourself aside and don't get involved in the body, if you don't come alongside of us and ministering to this town, then it's going to be much more difficult for you to be able to run that race effectively. We must have the first R of endurance, which is to rally together. We are a troop. We are a team. 
The second that we find is to remain because if you don't remain, the option is unthinkable. Now, I realize as I introduce this topic that I, I walk on controversial ground because there are those people that teach the once saved, always saved. Now, this is the uber-Calvinistic teaching that if you come forward, if you raise your hand, if you pray a prayer and you get involved in a church and then you walk away from God, you are no longer living for him. Maybe you become an atheist. Maybe you become a devil worshiper. Maybe you're just someone that the cares and the worries of the world and habits and sin and hobbies have choked out the word of God and you're not following him anymore. And so the Calvinistic teaching, once saved, always saved, says you're okay. Doesn't matter what you're involved in, you're okay because you came forward and you raised your hand and you committed your life to Christ. But here's the thing. Men who teach the once saved, always saved, John MacArthur, R.C. Sprawl, John Piper, I can name a few other men that teach this position. They are going to tell you, and I've looked up what they say, okay? They are going to tell you those people are not saved. Not because they lost their salvation, but they're going to tell you the very fact that they went back into the world is proof that they were never saved. They claim that they have the ability to know the heart of the individual when they made a commitment. On the other side, you have men like Charles Swindoll, Billy Graham, uh, Charles Stanley, and others who say, I don't know whether the person was saved or not. I don't know whether they made a commitment. That's where Calvary falls in, by the way. Chuck Smith, Greg Laurie, myself. I don't know. I don't have spiritual ESP. I can't tell whether or not someone was really genuinely saved or not. I think as far as some of those people that got involved in the church, really got cooking in it, were feeding the homeless and involved in it, and then walked away, I think some of them were saved and some of them weren't. That's the reality of where I think. But it doesn't matter. See, we want to argue about this. Certain churches want to have every sermon that they have about once saved, always saved. These guys can go to this topic from any passage in the Bible. It's uncanny. Talk about uncanny. They can start in any passage and they can end with once saved, always saved. And they hammer it in. But here's the thing. The guy's still unsaved. You, let's just take the extreme. Guy gets, raises his hand, prays a prayer, goes to church, gets involved in the prison ministry, gets involved in the homeless ministry, and then walks away from God and becomes a devil worshiper. And now... The once saved, always saved guy says, and actually they don't say this, but I'm sure you could find someone who would say this, that that devil worshiper is going to go to heaven because he raised his hand at one point. So you and I are up in heaven and we're like, who made this pentagram? <laughs> it was that devil worshiper. He got in in that loophole. Once you raise your hand and you commit your life to the Lord, then you're always saved. So we got to live eternity with a devil worshiper. Listen, there will be no devil worshipers in heaven. Okay, And everybody from the uber-Calvinists to extreme Arminianists, which we are not Arminianists, by the way, who believe that people, they sneeze and they lose their salvation. Okay, They got to be saved again. They got to be born again, 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 born again, 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 again. We don't believe that. Although the Calvinists will claim we do, we don't. Okay, It's all the same. The guy's still unsaved. There's nobody, not extreme Calvinists and not extreme Arminianists, who say that a person that once raised their hand and prayed a prayer who then became an apostate is saved. They both say he's unsaved. One of them that he was never saved and the fact that he left is proof that he was never saved. The other one that they don't know, but the guy is unsaved now because he's not following Jesus. In other words, you have no confidence as someone who has walked away from God. I don't know whether you've crossed a line. I don't know whether you've gone too far. 
I don't know whether or not if you were to die now, you would make it into heaven. Again, I don't have spiritual ESP. There's no way that I can know. But what I know is that there is a fearful expectation of judgment. And that's where the text goes. As he continues to talk about endurance, he says this in verse 26. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Now, this verse has been taken out of context and argued a lot. Taken out of context, it would mean that if anybody ever sins willfully, the word willfully is used one other place in the Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 when it talks about giving. It says we are not to give out of constraint because we have to, but we are to give willingly. It's the same word in the Greek, okay? So if I sin willfully and there's no longer a sacrifice for sin, that means every time I've got angry and known that I'm doing it or every lustful thought that I've had that I thought I shouldn't have this thought or, or every uh, gossip that I did when I thought I shouldn't do this gossip, but I do it anyway, those would be unforgivable, right? But the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the Bible says there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So now we take it from the sky out of context and we put it back into context. These people once walked with God and now are back in the old system. And so if we sin willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. If you go back into your old lifestyle, if you are no longer following Jesus, if you willfully walk away from him, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. There is no surety that you are saved. I'm not saying you're not. I'm simply saying there's no surety or confidence. The only way you have confidence is to do what Jesus said in Matthew 24. He who endures to the end will be saved. You run the race to the end. Look at what he goes on to say. He says in verse 27, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Verse 28, anyone who rejects Moses, this is law, dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who counted the blood of the covenant by which they were sanctified as a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Some people say, well, he's talking about a non-believer here. He's not talking about a believer. Then why does it say God will judge his people? And then verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. What's the option if we don't follow Jesus? What's the option if we don't follow through? The option is a certain fearful judgment or a certain fearful expectation of judgment that it's an awful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. During the early years of Jesus's ministry, there were thousands that followed him. But in the middle of his ministry, he began to teach commitment. He began to teach, you want to be my disciple? Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. He began to say, you want to be my disciple? Then you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He was talking about them giving up their lives and consuming the life of Jesus, that now they were going to be living the life of Jesus. And people said, this is a hard saying, and the crowds left. You can hear the murmuring in all the crowds, and they left him. So Jesus turned around, and there were the 12. That was all that was left. When he started teaching these hard sayings, people just left. 
And so Jesus turned around to the 12 and said, are you going to leave me also? Peter. Now, Peter often had foot and mouth disease. He often said the wrong thing at the wrong time, the wrong place. But Peter said this, Lord, where will we go? It is you that have the very words to life. Peter knew this is the truth. And where are we going to go? What, what are your options? You've got two. You either live for yourself and apart from Christ or you live for Christ. And living apart from Christ is really not an option because of the fearful expectation of judgment, because it's an awful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And so we want to run the race with endurance to the end. We remain because there's no other option. The last thing that we find here is the remembering. He says in verse 32, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Recall the former days when you were illuminated. Remember when you gave your life to Christ? I had spoken to you about when I was 14 and I gave my life to the Lord and God changed me. And I walked with the Lord for four years, grew and was involved in the church. But at 18, I walked away. And I really walked away, by the way. I, I had in my excuses. The pastor of the church I attended had an affair with the secretary and a mentor of mine uh, had an affair. His wife, when I called him, his wife said he left me for another, another gal. And I walked away from God. But in reality, I thought the world had something to offer me. I had been from 14 until 18. I'd been a Christian. I'd lived in the church. And so I thought there's something out there, whether it's drugs or alcohol or pleasure or sex, or I didn't know what it would, but I thought it has something. And so I walked away from the Lord for a year. And it only took me a year to realize the world has nothing to offer me. It took some of you guys longer. Some of you guys pursued the world for a longer amount of time. But if you're a believer, you came to that point, didn't you? You suddenly realized this world has nothing to offer me. Some of you aren't, aren't there yet. Some of you, as I talk about this, you think, ah, I think there's something out there. It, it's not, by the way. I remember when I was a kid, uh, my family was pretty poor and we, we couldn't bowl of all things. You know how poor we were when we couldn't bowl. And I remember wanting to bowl. I remember as a nine-year-old, I want to bowl. I want to bowl. So when I became a teenager and I was able to bowl, I went to bowl. And I got, I don't know, I was okay. I think my highest game was 219. It's not it's nothing to sneeze at. I'm sure some of you guys are much better at it. But I didn't like it. Here I was all the time. I'm a kid. I want to bowl. I want to be a bowler. I want to, I want to be a bowler. <laughs> I started bowling and I hated it. I didn't like it. Well, that's like the world. You think, oh, it's got something I want there. I want to do that. I want, and you get out there and you realize it has nothing to offer you. So after a year, I'd come to the bottom. And I've shared with you before that on my way home one night, I turned on the Christian station and God spoke to my heart through a song. And the next Sunday I went to church. It was a church I'd gone to before. People were there raising their hands during worship. The pastor got up and spoke, but I sat in that chair and nothing happened in here. I was as dead as a doornail. I looked around and people seemed to be moved by God and I had been used to going to church and being moved, but nothing happened. You know what I thought? I thought I'd gone too far. I thought God didn't want, we didn't want to use me anymore. I thought God didn't want to have me anymore. I thought maybe I'll be a Christian, but I'm going to be a second class Christian. And those days of being spoken to by God and God moving in my life are done. Well, that week, a friend of mine called me. He was my cruise buddy. We'd go out and cruise chicks at Eastdale. Eastdale is a road in, in Albuquerque. And he called me up and he said, hey, 
I got saved. Now, what he didn't know is that I knew exactly what he was talking about. And he said, you got to go to church with me tonight. He was evangelizing me. You got to go to church with me tonight. I showed up at that little church and it was the most bizarre little charismatic church you've ever seen. We stepped over people to get everybody slain in the spirit. There were people talking in tongues. It was a lady preacher that was preaching. It was just bizarre on all levels. And I sat down in that pew and God touched me. You've heard of laughing in the spirit. I was crying in the spirit. And the thing about me crying, some of you guys are really cool criers when you cry. And some preachers are that way too, right? They're talking about Jesus or something. And all of a sudden a tear comes down their face. And I can't do that. I've got to keep my emotions in check because I'm a hideous crier. I'm like, and it's really hard to watch. And when I start to cry, people are like, this is awkward. This is really awkward. God looks awful, you know? Okay. So I start bawling in this church service and uh, God touched my heart. God said to me while I was sitting there, come home. And I wasn't a second class Christian. God used me. God began to touch my heart again and God began to move. But when I gave my life to Jesus at 14 or when I gave my life again to Jesus at 19, I didn't do it so I could become a pastor. I didn't do it so for any future that he might have for me. I did it because I was hurting and lonely and worn out and tired and I needed Jesus. And I got to think for you, when you came to Christ, did you do it for the bargain you could get? Did you raise your hand because this is a bargain I can't pass up? No, you were probably compelled by Jesus, weren't you? You were illuminated. All of a sudden, you realized, I want to know him and I want to love him. I have often said, when you join the family of God, you're not joining a church. You're not joining a denomination. You're getting to know a person. And that person is Jesus. And if you want to endure to the end, then recall the former days when you were illuminated. Remember the days when you first came to Jesus. He goes on to say here in verse 33, partly while you were made a spectacle by reproaches and traditions and partly while you were becoming companions of those who were so treated for you had compassion on me in my chains and joyful acceptance of plundering of the goods, knowing that you have better and enduring possessions for yourself in heaven. He's saying when you guys first became Christians, there was persecution Many of these guys became Christians right after Jesus was crucified. They had their homes taken from them. They had their property taken from them. They were excommunicated from the temple. They had all kinds of problems, but they followed Jesus instead. And when their possessions, verse 434 tells us, when their possessions were taken from them, they consider I have greater possessions in heaven. When they took their homes and their land from them, they said, we know that we have them in heaven. Then he says in verse 35, therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. It is yet a little while, folks, and Jesus will return for us, and we want to be running the race worthy of the call when he shows up. It says, now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. If we draw back, God has no pleasure in that person, but we are not of those who draw back. We have been called by him. We have been saved. And if we will rally together and get to know one another and be the men and women that we should be in the body of Christ, if we will remember, where are we going to go? What, if we walk away from God, what are we going to do? 
We're going to go back in the world. We're going to go back to where we came from. And if we would remember where we came from, that it was that love of Jesus, I believe that we will endure into the end. But I want to remind you of one more thing in the end here. And that is that God has not called you just so you can get something. He hasn't called you to be a part of the body of Christ so someone else can bear your burdens. But he's called us that you can bear somebody else's burdens. He's called you as the light of the world because there are desperate, lonely, hurting people that need Jesus around you, family members and friends. Have you guys ever heard of a guy by the name of Dawson Trotman? How many of you have? Show of hands. Who knows here who Dawson Trotman is? All right. He was the founder of the Navigators, right? Some of you guys here are involved in the Navigators. In 1938 or 33, he founded the Navigators. In 1956, he was on a boat in New York on a lake, racing across the water, when a rogue wave, out of nowhere, suddenly the boat struck it. It hit the boat so hard that it shot him out of the boat and a little girl out of the boat as well. When the boat was turning around to come back and get them, Dawson picked the little girl up and held her up above the water while he was waiting for the boat to make its way back around. When they got to him, they lifted the little girl in, reached back for him, and he went under the water for the last time. By the time they dove in and they got him, he had died. He literally lost his life while lifting the little girl up and holding her up to be able to save her. Time Magazine did an article on him when he died, and here's what Time Magazine said about Dawson Trotman. He lived to save others. His death was just the way that he would have planned it. His obituary read, Dawson Trotman always lifting someone up. The very last line in this, it says, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition. You know what the word perdition means? Wasted. Judas Iscariot is called the son of perdition. His life was wasted. The Antichrist is called the son of perdition. His life is wasted. We are not those who draw. When we walk away from God, and now we're no longer the light of the world, we're no longer the salt of the earth, we're no longer lifting someone up, even to the sacrifice of our lives, lifting someone up, our lives are just perdition. We are not of those who draw back to perdition. We have a call. We have a cause. We have a purpose. There's a reason you have been chosen by God. Your generation, however old you are, whatever generation you are in, your generation needs to hear about Jesus. And God has called you to do it. God has given you the words. God is using you. And if you've fallen away, if you're tempted to fall away, if you are no longer enduring, or if you're not doing these things to endure, would you endure? Not for your sake alone, but for the sake of the little girls that you may raise up, for the sake of those who will come to Christ because you run your race effectively to the end. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you again for your word here. And as we consider the words spoken to these Hebrew, early Hebrew Christians, that they have need of endurance, we realize that we have need of endurance as well, that we need to come to the place where we run the race you've given us effectively and fervently. And I pray for all of us that are here in this room that we would not draw back, that we would not let the cares and the worries of this world choke out the, the word, that we wouldn't let sin or hobbies or something take away the passion that we have for you. But let us live for you with everything that we have. 
And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.